Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Today, we're talking about dogs. Hooray! I hope we're only talking about good dogs. They're all good dogs. Who's a good dog? But they look and act so different. We're going to investigate the history of dog breeds to find out how scientists are decoding the secrets to what makes every dog so special. Today's question comes from Finley. My name is Finley Mecca. I'm 10 years old. Why are there deer-headed and apple-headed chihuahuas? I didn't know this until Finley sent us her question, but there are two kinds of chihuahua, and Finley has one of each. Peanut has a round head like an apple, and Maggie has a sloped head like a baby deer. Finley told us that she's curious about why their heads look so different. I think the answer to this question might be something about their DNA, but I don't really know yet. So I think I know the answer. There were once two brother chihuahuas. One fell in love with a deer, and the other fell in love with an apple. To get the real answer to Finley's question, I called up a scientist who studies dogs and is a real dog lover herself. Fitz, come here, baby. That's Jessica Heckman. Our interview had three listeners who you might hear clicking their nails and panting. Her dogs, Jenny, Dash, and Fitz, who was just getting settled into his new life. Yesterday, I adopted a third dog from a shelter, and we have named him Fitz. And he's a very good dog, and he's very happy to be here. So basically, Jessica is a dog person and a dog scientist. It's good to be both. Definitely. She's fascinated by what makes dogs look and behave the way that they do. She told me that the answer to Finley's question starts with why we have dogs in the first place. The story begins tens of thousands of years ago. What we currently think happened is that around, let's say, 20,000 years ago, there were some animals that were sort of like dogs and sort of like wolves. And some group of them figured out that they could get more food more easily by hanging out near humans. That's because wherever humans were, there were food scraps. I think everybody who has a dog knows how this works. Throw food on the floor, dog comes, cleans it up. You don't have to clean the floor. (laughs) And so these animals figured out, these sort of dog wolves figured out, hey, if I'm willing to go eat from the human's trash, then it's much easier than going and, and hunting. Scientists are still trying to figure out if this happened in just one place or if it happened in many places in many times. But dogs became domesticated or tame enough to live with humans. Or be our best animal friends. And that's when humans started breeding dogs. Certainly for thousands of years, we've bred dogs to do different things. Humans realized that dogs could not just make their trash disappear— but do other useful things for us, too. Like um, protecting things or herding sheep and finding things that are lost, all those kinds of jobs. They did that by mating two dogs with traits, meaning behaviors or looks, that they liked. So, like, two dogs that are good at herding sheep are probably going to have puppies that are also good at herding sheep. Exactly. Then they'll take the best sheep herder from that litter and mate it with another great sheep herding dog from another litter. And then they'll repeat that cycle again and again until a new breed is created that looks different from other kinds of dogs. 
similar to how evolution works, but what we call artificial selection, meaning that humans have the goals rather than nature having the goal, right? Through artificial selection, we made different breeds of dogs for different jobs and as pets too. But sometimes nature helps out with a lucky mistake. So sometimes a mutation happens and a dog shows up that all of a sudden just looks really different. Like one puppy in the litter suddenly looks really different from all the other puppies. Mutation? Is that like mutants? Like, you know, like storm? Like they can, there's like puppies who can change the weather? (laughs) I think the puppies would like always want it to be a nice day to go to the park. Yes, they would. (laughs) But these are not the ex-puppies. A mutation is the word we use to describe when there's a random change in DNA that creates a brand new trait we've never seen before. Uh, Black coat color is a mutation that appeared in dogs. And so there used to be no black wolves at all. And then some dogs got loose and bred with wolves, and now there are black wolves. I thought the black wolves were just the werewolves. Nope, it's genetics. So Finley's dogs probably got their head shapes with some combination of mutation, where a random change in the DNA creates a brand new trait, and artificial selection, where breeders mate dogs with the traits they want to see more of. And then breeders are like, well, that's cool. Yeah, and then they're like, let's see how far we can take this. About 250 years ago in the Victorian era, people started realizing they could also breed dogs to look certain ways. And at the time, there were a lot of fads of, well, can I, can I make these really funny looking dogs? What if they were this color we've never seen before? What if their ears were really, really big? What if their legs were really short? What if they had almost no muzzle? I guess that's why some dogs have like really ridiculously adorable little wrinkly faces and barely any nose. Exactly. Just choose the wrinkliest dog with the least nose and mate them with the other super wrinkly dog with almost no nose. But there were a lot of steps to get to like a pug. (laughs) Exactly. Many generations. But to go back to Finley's dogs, chihuahuas are not from Victorian breeding. They're from Mexico, and their head shapes have probably existed for a really long time. Archaeologists have actually found ancient pots in the shapes of chihuahuas, featuring both apple heads and deer heads. So ancient breeders were probably selecting for these cool looks, just like today's breeders. Okay, so now we know the history of dog breeds and how breeding works— But is Finley right about how scientists would find out what made her dog's head shapes? Like, can they look into the dog DNA and see apple and deer? Well, that's getting to exactly what Jessica studies. One of the things that we do in the laboratory where I work is we try to understand how genes uh, and DNA affect dogs' behavior, but also their body shapes. Genes are made up of DNA. They're the thing that controls what gets passed down to the next generation. So when dog breeders were saying, I want this dog and this dog to make the best puppies, maybe they'll control the weather. (laughs) What they're doing is just trying to choose which genes get passed down. Right. And now scientists have the tools to see into a dog's DNA to try and figure out what those genes actually look like and where they are. 
but it's not easy. The amount of DNA that each individual has is so, so, so big. It's like a massive, massive, massive book or like a whole library of books which are written in another language and you don't know the language. That does sound hard. Jessica's lab is working to read these books of dog genes. They believe that the books hold the secrets to why dogs look and act the way that they do. But first, they need to learn the language. And they're doing that by starting small and identifying really simple genes. One of the things that was really easy is coat color. So they started out looking at boxers, and boxers can either be all brown or brown with some white, or they can be all white. They compared the genetic books of 10 brown boxers to the genetic books of 10 white boxers. And they did a comparison where they tried to see, so where is it in the DNA that all the brown ones look like one way and all the white ones look a different way? All the brown boxers had one gene written one way, but the same gene in the white boxers was written a different way. It's like the scientists could finally read the words in the dog's genetic book for brown and white fur color. So to bring it back to Finley's question, that would be exactly the same way that you would try to understand, are there genes that are causing the difference between having an apple-shaped head versus a deer-shaped head? You'd have to look through that huge book of DNA and try to find where there are a couple spots that control that. Okay, so hypothetically, if we compared Maggie's book of DNA to Peanut's book of DNA, we could find the gene that creates the difference between their head shapes. That's the idea. But scientists are still a long way from it being that easy. So we can open those books and read out the letters. We can even say that's a word and that's a paragraph. We can do that kind of thing. But we don't know what the meaning is. Wow, so it's like they're trying to decode like a whole brand new language that no one speaks. I wonder who will be the first one to be fluent in DNA. (laughs) It's kind of like the universal language of life. All of our bodies speak it. Every living thing has it. And if we can understand it in dogs, we can understand it in humans too. And probably butterflies, bacteria, goats, whales, cyclopses, (laughs) centaurs. It would be huge. But most of the language of DNA is much, much more complicated than coat color. Jessica's lab has discovered that often there's not just one spot or one gene that controls a dog's looks or behavior. Wow. So how do they figure out how that all works together? Well, Jessica's part of an exciting project that's calling on dog owners all over the world to help them crack the code. I would definitely call it citizen science, yes. So it's like regular people get to help out with real scientific research. Yes, the project is called Darwin's Ark, and its goal is to discover the genes for dog behavior and personality using DNA tests and surveys. And we'll ask you all about, you know, what your dog does in certain situations and how they spend their day. So like the dogs are making like a like a diary, like today I laid on the couch for a while. Then someone passed by the door, and I got excited and barked. They were scared and left. And then there was food. It was great. (laughs) When Jessica and her colleagues can match the owner's questionnaire answers to their dog's DNA, they can answer all sorts of fascinating questions about why certain kinds of dogs do what they do. 
The only thing I want to know is who's a good dog? It's funny because that's literally Jessica's biggest research question. (laughs) She wants to know what makes a good dog a good dog. I am just really curious about what it is that makes dogs be a certain way. I always thought that that was just a rhetorical question and that the dogs always answered it with, Me! Me! I'm the good boy! I'm the good dog! (laughs) Well, now we can officially answer it with science. Do you have a dog or a favorite breed of dog? Think about what makes them so special. Is it something about the way they look, act, or something they're good at doing, like licking your face and leaving it covered with slobber? (laughs) Think about what that trait is and how and why we humans might have wanted our dogs to have it. Does it make them good workers, good companions, or just so darn lovable you just can't stop petting them? If you were Jessica, what kinds of questions would you ask to find out what makes that dog the way that it is? Thanks to Dr. Jessica Heckman, dog geneticist and postdoctoral associate at the Broad Institute. And thanks to Finley and her mom, Stacy. If you'd like to see photos of Maggie and Peanut, check out the blog for this episode on our website, sciencepodcastforkids.com. We also have more information there about Darwin's Ark. It's free to sign up your dog and take the survey, but there is a required donation to do the DNA testing. Speaking of donations, did you know you can get double the tumble when you support us at patreon.com slash tumblepodcast? We make special bonus interview episodes with all of our featured scientists. Yes, you can learn so much more about dog breeds and dog behavior from my conversation with Jessica. There's so much more to learn about who's a good dog. They are all good dogs. Yes. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this show. Sarah Lentz is our head of partnerships, and I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I made all of the music. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more stories of science discovery.